figure it out one way or the other. Um, and so much of that, again, is with running and with behaking. It's just you've got to get your hands and your hands dirty. You've, you've got to figure things out and you're going to fall on your face sometimes and races are going to go sideways and suck, but suck it up and get the bagel and if there's a medal, grab that and go find some coffee and a good, good, good brunch and hang out with some friends and laugh. I'm going to do the Ali. Hello, hello. Welcome to Chill Track Friday. I'm Ann. I'm Ali. And What's are, going are, on today? Are we, are we fighting for the mic? Because we're like both going at it at the same time. We're both so excited. <laughs> because we, we have a guest that we have never, ever mentioned on this podcast before. Not like not once. Like nobody knows who this person is. Nobody. I, I think people care, but like nobody knows who he is. They'll find out like what's, what's about to happen. Who, who is this person? Um, He's sitting right across from us. Can we just have him introduce himself? <laughs> who are well, you? Who are you? Roberto Mange? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, no, this, this is the wrong one. Oh, I'm so sorry. No. This is Ben Delaney, and I'm so happy to be here today. Ben Delaney? Wait, I've heard that name before. <laughs> Hasn't he? We have mentioned him on the podcast, right? Like I don't know. every I, time. I can't recall, but it's okay. So it sort of became a running joke, actually, because Roberto mentioned you first, <laughs> and then we mentioned you again, and then we're like, oh my god, we just have to keep mentioning Ben Delaney. <laughs> so the man, the myth, the legend is oh, here. Okay, right. And then on Stuart's episode, we didn't even we forgot, and Stuart brought him up, and then we we're like, oh, okay. You were the case study for your yeah. awesome 10K. Yes, I heard that. I was like, wow. And by the way, it was 10 by 400s, not 8. Oh. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Okay, correction. Um, yeah, okay. Big Good difference. Di- big difference. I two more on that. Okay. okay. Hashtag well, math, yeah. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> Hashtag math. <laughs> 8 to 10, two more. <clears throat> Even more so impressive. For those of you who listened to the training tip last time, please do realize that it was 10 by 400s, not 8. <laughs> so going off of Stuart's training tip try to run you know the training tip was that you should be familiar with paces faster than your than your race pace so that race pace should feel easy yeah nice yeah <laughs> don't did know it feel easy Ben? Yeah, that was the truth yeah. of that one because <laughs> you know, you know, 10k is like soul crushing it's just like hey I have an idea I'm gonna go out and run really fast for six miles and see if I can not die <laughs> <laughs> how did the um, yeah can we talk about that how did the last like two miles feel like hell yeah <laughs> really yeah it's like you're you know you've you know i don't it's to try to keep it as clean as possible <laughs> yeah. um no it's hard it's you know you're really you're pushing everything you have it's it's hard to look at the 10k and not think of it like two 5ks because it's yeah. really because yeah. it's really it really it really it was not it really hurt and those last two miles were yeah you're digging you're absolutely digging and in this particular case i was the run the race was so small that i was on my own so you're mm. having to maintain a very high level of running in my case it was for fast for me and you're hoping to, that it ends quickly because there's nobody to pace off of no one to help you out you're moving yourself and just hoping to see the one mile sign and see civilization and see the finish line and and, and a bagel so yeah <laughs> Do you, I mean, it's hard to remember after the fact, but do you remember if there was anything in particular that you were thinking? Because if you're not, if you don't have someone to just kind of bore your whole, your eyes into the right. back of their back, it's hard to kind of keep that energy up. There was a water station that I was looking for because there was two water stations on the course, one very early in the race that I gives an out and back, so I knew it would be late in the race. I was didn't because again not having run the course didn't know where it was yeah. but I knew it was coming and that was really the goal get to the water station 
grab a water, throw it on your face, take a quick swig, and then go. And I knew once I got to there, I'd be inside like 1,200 meters to go. And so I knew once I got there, it was a quick splash and go, and then just dig, dig, dig. Yeah. And um, it'll all be over soon, but it's a long, it's like, you know, how many times have we done 800 meter repeats, 1K yeah. repeats, one mile repeats? And it was kind of that and focus on the form. You know, I thought about Gary McLaughlin and his good arm form. <laughs> <laughs> and said, so, okay, be like Gary. Just, just be like Gary right now. And I think you've passed the torch of the, <laughs> who we're going to mention on the podcast now. I have one no, mentioned Gary from now on. <laughs> um, how was the point two? That's always like the worst. This was an interesting, because this particular race, it was a three mile out and back. And if oh. you know a 10K, it's like 6.2, yeah. whatever. I don't have the number in front of me, but we had to find a 400 meter somewhere on the way back. So we, we had a quick out and back turn to a parking lot. So you see the finish line and then you have to make a right-hand turn to make a U-turn to make a right-hand turn. <laughs> so it kind, of, it kind of jumbled the end of the race a little bit. And yeah, I was you're just having to dig in and figure it out. But it kind of took a little bit off, but it also helped me see how far I was behind the person in front of me and how close the person behind me was. So that was a good, you know, because you never want to look over your shoulder don't care who's behind you, but it was good to go, kind of, oh, okay, he's 100 meters behind me or 200 meters behind me, so I know I've got, he's not on my shoulder, but it was enough to know he's close enough that I couldn't, uh, you know, lollygagging, I still had to push in. But it was good, the last 400 hurt, yeah. and that's a good sign. That is good, and you got first in your age group, right? <laughs> yes, I did, and the guy who got second was the guy behind me, so. That's amazing, <laughs> good for you, Ben, that's so cool. That was a two minute PR, right? Almost Something like that, yeah. Close yeah. enough, wow. from Yeah, from Kleinerman, I came into 20, uh, 19 with that was the goal so make it happen wow what was the biggest difference i know you have mostly focused on longer distance before that and you came with a i remember you saying with a lot of purpose saying you know i'm done marathons you had you had a successful new york city we can talk about that in a, in a new york city marathon we can talk about that in a second but you at a certain point you said okay all right i'm gonna recover from new york city and I'm going to really focus on the 10K distance and shorter distance. First of all, what was the driving motivation behind that? And then what what did you find difference now that you've gone through the one full cycle? The motivating factor was just to do something different. It re- I, was, I had done marathon training for what seemed like an eternity. And I was just kind of, um, I'd say I was done with it, but I wanted something different. You know, and you mentioned it briefly before that 2018 was a, a really incredible arc in terms of my running and where it was going. Um, you know, being an older fart that runs, you know, it's like it's like, oh wow, I can still run fast. Holy smokes, this is still there. And so that kind of that kind of spurred the juice on a little bit that I could do. You know, what else is there? Find something different. And at the same time, it was just a different challenge. And I, you know, anybody who's marathon trained knows it's a time commitment is so huge. You give mm-hmm. up so much of your time, not only during the week but on weekends and the focus and. Um, Thankfully, I have a support system from uh, my wife and my son that have always been behind me, which is great. You know, because it's as anybody who knows when you marathon train, you're gone, you know, at least one day a weekend, if not more. And because I was coaching more, I was gone both days. And so it was more like to give back to them, but also to find a new challenge for myself. And it was good. It was, you know, it was good to recover and then have a goal immediately thereafter. Because I think sometimes you come off that marathon high or that big focused race and you're like what's next what am i supposed to do where am i going to go next and i had already decided before new york city probably early october that i was done i was going to wrap it up whatever happened on 
November 4th, whatever the date was. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens, happens. But no marathon in 2019. It was over. And take a year off, regardless of the result. I'd already had made peace with that, and I was fine with that. Time to do something different, and the 10K seemed like the biggest challenge. And boy, was it. Wow. That's really cool. I like that dedication to your decision. So the second part of the question, having so much experience in training for marathons and then leading up to a successful marathon, what was the biggest difference in training for a 10K versus the marathon? Um, The biggest difference was the actual workouts. Mm -hmm. Um, When I had taken on the idea of doing it, I had found a training plan, kind of looked at it, digested it. And it was the workouts were nothing that I hadn't done before. It was just looking at the volume of speed work, and that was the difference. It was the marathon training. It's long, slow distance, pushing yourself out there, and you know your repeats are at different paces, a little bit slower, but there may be more of them. You know, the recoveries may be shorter depending on where you're going or however you're breaking your recoveries on your speed work in. But it's always that long run on the weekend. That's the, the basis of that training. For the 10K, it was. My longest run was like, you know, eight or 10 miles. I was like, oh, great. But during the week, it was these really high volume speed work. Like instead of doing four, three or four mile repeats, you're doing five or six. You're doing eight by one Ks instead of five by one Ks. You're doing 10 or 12 by 400s and eight or 10, 800. So it's just a really increased volume. And then also running either at pace or quicker than pace. So you're working yourself down into faster pacing. So it's just... Those were hard. Those were hard. That's yeah. faster, yeah. Much faster. One thing I really admired because we, you're, we're obviously, you know, we run together quite often and talk about this stuff. And you were talking about like when you when you started the training plan, you mentioned how some of the paces described for your or prescribed for your goal seemed really easy. But you said you said, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna trust it because I. I personally don't think if I'll have the discipline to like stick to that pace that might feel so easy, but it's obviously working a specific system. You're trust, trusting the training plan to do its magic, and it obviously shows in your result that it worked. Um, instead of like saying this feels too easy, I'm just gonna hammer mm-hmm. it. Uh, but the the plan was obviously trying to do something it's very specific <laughs> physiologically for you. Yeah, and those are the tempo runs because yeah. early on the tempo runs were like, oh, I mean, we've you know, it was a minute slower than 10k pace. I'm like, well, that's not that difficult. But the tempo runs are also five miles or six miles. They mm-hmm. weren't three miles, so it was you know two by you know two by at one minute and then two by at 30 seconds and then one at pace. So it was slowly working you down to your 10k pace. Like, oh, that would be that difficult. But man, that last mile was like, whew. Mm-hmm. That just kicked my ass. And I'm like, okay, well, it's then the first couple times I did that, I was like, okay, stay on target. Don't deviate from where you are. But that also came from just doing training plans over the years. Through marathon training, you kind of have to trust the process. You kind of mm-hmm. have to sit there and be like, okay, here we go again, but I got to do it. So trust it. Because, yeah, when you don't trust it, that's when things can go off the rails and go awry. And you're like, ah, oh, damn, what happened? Well, it's because you didn't follow the plan, you know? And sometimes if injuries pop up that's different but if you're staying true to who you are and you keep running just stick with it you'll figure it out and at the end of the day you'll at least you'll get to the start line where you're supposed to be with a chance for success and that's pretty much where we all want to be mm-hmm. at that point unlike yeah. this coffee that we're drinking I know sorry <laughs> but sorry about the coffee I, I, I challenged Anna and Ali to try something different than their <laughs> Ethiopian coffee that was like you know the beans were 
pulled from like rhinoceros dung or something. <laughs> <laughs> so what is this then? So, so yeah, actually, can you speak in r- 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 uh, rhinoceros dung? What did, what did you inspire us to actually so, bring? To so the- I really brought the bar down. I don't. Can we go lower? Then I don't know. Sanka is probably. Folgers would be better than this, I think. But I not only is it Sanka, but it's decaffeinated Sanka. I know. I was so embarrassed at the store to pick it up that I just grabbed whatever whatever was in front of me, and I didn't realize it was decaf. Ali, do you want to tell them actually how the transaction occurred? Yeah, we actually had someone else pay for it and then give it to us at the corner. We were too street. embarrassed. Yeah, we were like, we're not buying this. I'm, I'm not actually holding this and taking it to the counter. It was like back when we were teenagers. Like... Yeah, I shouldn't talk about that. But anyway, a <laughs> uh, lot is about Washington to unfold Heights. here, guys. This podcast is going to go south real fast. In Washington Heights, no one would ever think twice about that. It's totally normal up here. Yeah, really. no, the transaction at the street corner was pretty smooth. It didn't. There was nothing. Passing nothing of the Sanka. Yeah, but we bring this up for a very important reason because you talk about the process, and not only are we drinking Sanka, which is kind of blasphemy to the things that have accompanied it. Ben brought homemade brownies. And bread, and your your journey as a baker. We joke about you having like Ben's Bakery, but honestly, like all jokes aside, you're an amazing baker, and we've watched you become this baker. I mean, I remember that you did it during tapering for the New York City Marathon in 2017, I believe, right? Yeah, I think it's when I first started to bring the the snacks. Yeah, about, the snacks. That, about that time, it's when the snacks begin to appear, and it's. I don't know. It's kind of, from my perspective, it seemed like the per- the perfect thing to be doing during a taper when you have all this time and you're kind of nervous, but you're. it required attention and it required patience and it required a lot of trusting a recipe. It's similar to a training plan, but just sort of in a truncated version. And precision. And precision. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, baking is all about precision and science and, and measurements. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your baking? Because you are really a talented baker. <laughs> It's yeah, it's something I enjoy doing. I think any runner will attest that how we always preach that we do running for all the right reasons, for our health and all the good things. The reality is we run because we want to shove our face into anything that looks good when we're done. <laughs> and what and what's better than coming home or going somewhere and just absolutely indulging yourself? Um, yeah, I'm going off topic real quick, but like when we do, we we go out for our group runs. We would always have a destination, and that was always the key. Was Pick a destination, pick somewhere fun to go because at the end of your run, what are you going to do? You're going to enjoy the company, you're going to enjoy the food, and that's the perfect um, end to a run. And so for me, with baking, it was just like, well, that way I had it at home, but also that I could share it with somebody because I think that's part of when you, in our case, the three of us and the people that we've come so close with is there's that journey that we do as runners that we want to have that shared experience. With baking, to be able to share that with somebody, to be able Mm -hmm. to say here, have this, or here, try this, and enjoy it. That's, um, I don't think there's too much more that could be as pure as that when you give something to somebody and say, here, I made this, and I hope you enjoy it. You know, like in hearing Brian Shaw with the brownies, they're so chocolatey. <laughs> it's that dramatic pause he had when he said it. It was hysterical, but it's but that's just it. So when you bake, it's trying to find that balance, the measure to create not only what I like, but you know, obviously what my wife and my son will like is they're the ultimate critics if it sucks. <laughs> They'll be that way. But then at the end of the day, tinkering with it, just like any runner will tinker with their plan and try to find the perfect recipe and their perfect, the perfect balance. When I bake, I 
tinker and I figure things out. Obviously, the brownies don't worry in. They're always the same. I will never <laughs> tinker with the brownies. And people who love the cheesecake, don't worry. I don't tinker with that either. So, Yeah, I'm kind of a brownie snob, and these are amazing. <laughs> I mean, I would they're my number one choice. I mean, it's not a surprise. Like, it's a personality trait. I think, like, there are, every, you know, people are different. Like, the, some people are just always about their big picture thinker. Some people are really detail-oriented, and um, some people love process. I'm, I'm one of those, too. Like, anything I look at, I'm like, okay, so what's the methodology? Mm-hmm. How is it going? What are you doing at what point? And how is that affecting the outcome? And I, I, running is that, naturally. Like, even if you're, whether you're coaching, writing a training plan for someone, or you know, and then... Or doing it for yourself, and then the, it's just so parallel watching you do the baking, um, or going through the baking process because it's a really precise process. And then I remember you even talking about, it and you you shared almost everything. You're like, okay, I'm doing this now. I don't know if this is gonna work, but we'll see. Here are my dough babies, and <laughs> the dough babies. It so, but it just made perfect sense with all like you could if you took out the words bread and running conceptually it's like a parallel conversation mm-hmm. which i thought was really it was amazing it said something about who you were and the bread i have to thank ann for for the book you know that is, that you know, we exchanged at what our first annual gift exchange yeah. that we did amongst, amongst all of us but that was great because creating a starter because the the bread that i'm currently working on is made 100 percent from just it was a start. It was flour and water, and just feeding and wow. discarding and feeding and discarding. It took me a long time. It took me a while to get that process down, but it was being patient, figuring it out. And then once I had, you know, a start I could work from, then it was just trying to tinker with it. You know, and as you know, as our friend George would say, he said bread is the simplest thing, but the most difficult to perfect because it's flour, water, salt. That, that's it. But it's trying to find the balance of those three pieces is the challenge. Um, and there were some lows that didn't come out that great, but yeah. <laughs> just like there's not every race that come out perfect, but that's yeah, fine too. True. But yeah, now I've, I'm comfortable in my bread and the bread and how I make it. That um, I play around with it, and the worst day, I mean, even like the worst loaf of bread, is still going to be good. Yeah. It's still, still going to be fun to play around with, and yeah, and I, I'm fortunate enough that I can share it with the people that want to check it out it's like i'll bring it anywhere i'll take it anywhere it's like fine and so so hearing you talk about your baking process it's very similar to your coaching and you know we've known you since before you were a coach and your outlook on running and racing is very similar in terms of take it as it comes enjoy the process don't get too focused on the results if it goes great great if it doesn't great too and I think that's something that can really easily get lost in sort of this, oh, I have this plan and I have this goal race and it, there's so much build up around it. And you've always been someone that reminds all of us about the process and that you win some, you lose some. And I mean, that's, I feel like that's a quality that is cultivated in life. I don't necessarily know if that's something that people are just innately born with. I think it comes with experience and you have a lot of experience in terms of your photography and your baking. And also, I don't it just seems like a life outlook from knowing you for a few years. You just seem to have this very kind of, you're able to step back and see things from a bigger picture, which I think is what Ellie was getting at earlier. Yeah, it was it, it was not a surprise to me the day we brought up photography and I, <laughs> you were like, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the dark room. I'm like, of course, <laughs> right? Like it's a very process intensive thing, right? You're in the dark room, it will take you a day, you have to be patient 
and then to get the perfect thing it can be weeks it can you know be, I, or never happen or might never happen and you have to be okay with that and move on and try something else and then there's so many things in the dark room color versus black and white you can tinker with things and the process of all the way from loading a film into the camera <laughs> down to drying your print to say okay this is the perfect print it takes a lot of work and a lot of patience and but you have to follow through all of these steps and then you have to correct if you made a mistake somewhere there are chances to correct things yeah and that whole thing is you you, you went to you said you started bread Sorry if I'm jumping around too much, but it was like, it, it's a nurturing process. You're nurturing something and that's, you're doing that in baking. You do that in photography. Yeah. And I see you doing that in running, in coaching and giving it to others. So that's... Yeah. So I actually have a question about that. So can you talk to us a little bit about the tinkering with your with your experience in the long term of the marathon? Because we've watched you tinker your your recipe and fix things. Uh, and Yeah, no, because it's a really marathon. beautiful story how you've... <laughs> progressed in your ability to see where you where little things can be tinkered and where what works and what doesn't work and how to change the moving parts but keep the ones that work it's I'm a really hard thing to do i'm so glad we finally got a question out of that. but yeah go ahead <laughs> i was I'll headed like, there I, I was like i'm gonna get a cup of coffee in a second i'll come back you guys are talking fine. yeah more sanka and maybe i'll um, cut some more bread this up. is a podcast know. about us <laughs> ben just happens to be here i still thought ben's here he, 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 we're really hungry today and he had bread and brownies we're like sure come on over hang out for a little while do some stuff uh, yeah it's um yeah the marathon journey for me was interesting it, it goes back to like anybody who begins uh if you enter running later in life, I didn't start running until I was in my early 30s. Um, the days, you don't think about miles or 400s or track work because that's kind of like, I'm in my 30s, what the hell? How many, like 5Ks are fun in the neighborhood, but it's half marathon, marathon. You begin to look at and judge yourself in a different aspect because you're older. So obviously when you jump into running at an older time, it's more about the distance and trying to qualify for a time or achieve a time. Um, a friend of mine got me into running. I still curse him to this day for that, but uh, I thank him and I curse him at the same time. But um, he was my early inspiration. He's my early guidance, my coach in a way. He gave me a lot of good info. But yeah, I mean, it was um, San Diego 2008. I had been running for maybe a year at that point. And, I, and he had encouraged me to go for the marathon and Boston qualify because I had done a half marathon earlier that year that I had done really well. I had, you know, got into a time. He's like, look, you're really close. It's right there. I mean, it's, you can go for it. I'm going to give you a plan. I'll work with it. Yeah, and I stepped to the line in San Diego, and I felt good. And I won't say I made a ton of mistakes, but it's your first marathon. You're just going to have ups and downs. And I had a down where, you know, nothing new on race day, but that slice of orange looked really good. And I was really mm. thirsty. And yeah. that slice of orange, and two miles later, you have the reversal of four fortune somewhere on the course, and you're barfing your guts oh, up, and you're gosh. like, oh, what are you going to do? You finish the race, you get home. And I remember like, you know, there's there's my wife, I mean my god, my Owen was not even four yet. He was three, my wife was carrying him. Here I am, I'm like over forty five minutes late on a finish time. They think I'm dead on the course somewhere and I finally come out of nowhere and I finish the race and it was a learning experience, but having to then take that and try again. A little while later I tried in Long Beach later that year and had another rough day. And just kind of trying and trying, but at the same time looking at what's working and what's not. And then I took over a year off from distance. I said, no, I'm going to go back to what I enjoy. Um, around that same time, I had already, um, I stripped off all devices, no music, no tracking devices. It was literally run. And do I enjoy it? Did I enjoy running? If mm -hmm. I did, stick with it. If I didn't, 
I'd go back to playing ice hockey and roller hockey and put on my running shoes and stop forever because mm. at that point I had stopped playing those other sports and just was running all the time. Um, yeah, the marathon was not a friend to me for a lot of years. It was really challenging. And then when we moved here to New York in 2012, I did the nine plus one, um, jumped in in 2014. My buddy of mine, who was my inspiration, he came up uh, from Philadelphia. We ran together. It was super windy that year. Mm-hmm. Really yeah, howling winds when they had to move the wheelchair start across the bridge because they couldn't, because the wind was so bad across the bridge. Had a good day. Again, not the times were not indicative of what the fitness or what the what should have been and I was not able to unlock the little things that were in there I had figured out a lot of the big things but there are small things in a marathon that you're trying to figure out in the race you see them too what are the small little things that get you to the next level that keep it get you to the next level and keep it and those were always the little steps that I was trying to unlock for all those years um, and I was able to lock in with a training partner uh, in 2017 with George we worked really hard together for a uh, a whole year we ran together and walked up to the line in 2017. He had a fantastic day. I had arguably probably one of my better days as a marathoner. Still struggled, but got closer. So I was figuring things out. I was seeing what was working. And I was that's why I gave it one more push last year to see what could happen. You're very observant. I've noticed that. Like <laughs> you kind of look at things. You're usually a really good listener and kind of process things. Oh, going back to process, I'm going to use these. This episode's <laughs> going to be process, listen. Um, but you were obviously, you had attempted the marathon many times. And I remember you specifically saying at the beginning of, or at the beginning of 2018, I think you said, I haven't unlocked this and I really want to go at it. Maybe there's something missing here and I'm really going to try to figure it out this year, what mm-hmm. that is. Um, I'm so close and each time there is something I'm coming short on. So you made you made some changes to you, to the way you were going to train and what you were going to do. Can you talk about those? One of it was I was, I mean, I had, we were running more because I'd picked up a lot more co-coaching stuff. So I my weekly volume of mileage really increased. It was up over like 30, 40% from the year before. So mm-hmm. now I'm just running more miles and... I, in my personal case with running, that helped for the marathon. Some people can do low mileage. You know, Anne's talked about more low mileage, and the success that you've had has been incredible. I tried to do 2017 on like 40 miles a week. wasn't happening. I just didn't have it. Um, so, yeah, I increased the mileage during the week. Again, the, the speed work you do during the marathons where you do like, you know, marathon pace, 1Ks or whatever, I was doing, you know, eight or ten of those with a little bit less recovery, so I was really pushing those things through. But I was also doing double long runs on weekends, you know, smartly, not just for giggles. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't jumping out there, oh, let's just, you know, mm-hmm. throw caution to the wind and see what happens. No, it was, they were very measured in what I was trying to achieve with each one of those runs. And then, uh, can you talk about that measurement? Because that's important. <laughs> I don't want someone to think like double right. long runs on a weekend are a good yeah, thing. Yeah, because what was happening is like, it, you, when you, like, obviously, when you marathon train, you have your long run. So it's, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 18 miles, whatever. So, I would go coach on Saturday and we would do the long run, but obviously when you're coaching, you're not doing paces that you wanted to do. So I would go back out on Sat on Sundays on my own. And I would do usually half of what the day was before or maybe, you know, three quarters of what the day was prior to that. But mm-hmm. it was pick up miles to kind of get the legs awake again and then more pace miles. Keep you know, so mm-hmm. I was doing more pace but not a lot, like mm-hmm. five or six miles of pace. 
and then also maybe going and finding a more um, varied terrain. Mm-hmm. You know, we always talk about River Road and the rain, and it's so obvious it's raining today, we should be out there running River Road. But that was just <laughs> it, you know, running on like, okay, let's just go run at pace on some hills, mm-hmm. some rolling hills, instead of running on flat, there's something different. Um, we, live, we live uptown, we have a lot of hills, go run on the hills. So mm-hmm. it was getting back out there and seeing things. So again, I was trying to find the little pieces to, um, to unlock it because you know, when you're doing half marathons at one time and your marathons are at another and you're like, okay, what is the difference here? It's obviously a marathon, it's not just two halves put together, there's fueling, there's other things that go into it. Yeah, but it was hitting the weekend long runs and increasing that volume and, um, but then seeing what was happening and measuring the success, not just be like, woohoo, great, whatever, is okay, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. And seeing what's going on, so. Before the training cycle, during the year, I remember there was like a pivotal point at the Brooklyn half of 2018. Hmm. You had a, you stepped up to the start line. I don't remember, I think, I don't know, you, you said, okay, we're gonna give it a go. But you, I, I think you weren't sure what you were capable of that day. You said, okay, I'm gonna race by effort. You always do, but that you were like, we're gonna do this again. And you had a pretty, pretty successful day that day. Can you talk a little bit about that? And coming off of that, you're like, okay, time to get into shape for NYC and see what we can do. Yeah, you know, cause we had done Washington Heights in February. And we PR'd. You, you pushed me to do a, a 10 second PR in Washington Heights in February. Then I did the NYC half and I ran with Ilya and we did a fantastic day on a very challenging course. So those two pieces kind of were like, okay, maybe there's something here. Maybe I came out of 2017 feeling good, training strong. I think, um, yeah, because you were training for Boston Ann and mm-hmm. George was training for Boston. So I was still running. Yeah. We were all going out on the weekends. We were River Road, we were somewhere, so we were still doing a lot of running together, and so it was, the volume was there, but then when I got to Brooklyn, which is a race I've never had success at, ever, never been able to unlock, that race just doesn't do well for me, and it should do, it's a great course, it's super quick. But yeah, I remember I was in the corral with George, it was raining, he was just post-recovery for Boston, and I was feeling good and kind of joking around and just, as I do in a corral before I start, I just try to keep it very light. I try to keep kind of things just easy. It's going to be what it's going to be. And then the pacer shows up and it was Brian. And he was pacing a time that I was like, hmm. Who's Brian? Brian Shaw. <laughs> the man, so chocolate. The man who loved the brownies. He'd be pissed off. And he'd say, Where's my brownies, one man? Of our like, New York Roadrunner, yeah. One of our New York Roadrunner coaches. Yeah, yeah, so, and he walked in and I remember I... I looked at him and I think I made the comment like, do you even run, bro? <laughs> and knowing Brian, he's like, really? What are you, what are you talking about? He was like, he's giving a hard time as we were sitting there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, but to, there was a comfort level immediately when I saw him because the PR that I had for my half marathon stood from, from 2008. And it had been kind of one of those things that in the marathon, it kind of like pushed me to keep moving, keep trying. You know, that was a real keep moving, you, you got this, you know, you're, yeah, you're 10 years older, but you're doing so much more and you're stronger, um, wiser maybe, I don't know if that's really the right way to look at it, but yeah, it was go for it. And so when I got into the corral, I saw Brian, I was like, okay, all I have to do today is follow Brian for nine miles, make him do all the work. And then when I get to mile nine, if I do everything right before that and everything feels good, I will be able to do a four mile tempo because I've done a four mile tempo a thousand times. Mm-hmm. If I get to that right there, and then I told myself, I remember telling myself, if I don't, if I go 
and things work out, great. If they don't, that's fine too. I was comfortable and confident that if I got there and it didn't work out, then that's fine. But I wasn't going to wonder. No shoulda, mm-hmm. woulda, coulda, as Brian's always said a thousand times over. Yeah. Just go. And if you fall apart, if I hit 20K and the wheels come off, hey, you know what? At least I can go to bed at night knowing that I gave it everything I had. Mm-hmm. Then sitting there going, man, I, I think I had about 30 more seconds or a minute mm-hmm. out there. Cause, but yeah, but then when I crossed that finish, I remember coming on the boardwalk and I looked at the sign on Coney Island because you come across, you've got, what, like 400 meters to go, 600 meters to go. And I looked at the time. I was like, Good thing, I don't run with a watch. I had no idea what my time was. I, knew, I, saw the, I saw the 20K, did a quick math. said, okay, just go, bury it, push, push, push. Come up the board, you know, you make the left and the right. And I saw the finish line, I saw the time, and I was like, wow, you just have to go. And you're going to get the time that you have always, that you worked for today. Mm-hmm. And that's the best feeling you can have. Your experience really speaks to um, the idea of being relaxed while running as well. Because to kind of just let go and let it be what it's <clears> going to be and trusting the pacer <laughs> and that you're just going to see how you feel then rather than putting pressure on yourself. Oh, I'm going to do this time and I have to do this yeah. and I want to do that. It's I I find that racing relaxed is the best way to do it. It's hard to do, but it's the most successful. <laughs> One of the best things that we, that I, when Ali and I ran, which Fred LeBeau actually, 27, 2018, when we were coming back around and Maria was there and she, she cheered us on. <laughs> Can we talk about that story for a second? Because we do story time. Actually, before we do story that time? story, just one second. <laughs> UPR, UPR'd at that Brooklyn race, Correct. right? So Correct. 10 years later, yeah, you got a, you PR'd at a half marathon. Right. Okay. I just wanted, just wanted, didn't want that to get buried in the, yeah. in the story. Yeah, so, yeah, so you had a yeah, tenure. Yeah, it was, it, and, it, and I'm not gonna lie, it felt, it felt really good. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the story, we have, we have come out a hashtag with that. It's called hashtag Kick the Habit for one of our, one of our fellow group trainees. Her name's Maria. We'll leave the last name out. Uh, we, yes, we want to protect the innocent. We don't want Can you talk about that? Except Gary. We'll always give Gary's last name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is a really funny story because it, it's become a thing and it's so, it's, it's kind of endearing in a way. And it's the moment I, I was running with you at the time. So I'll never forget the moment because I just, I have never laughed so much for like a mile. In in a race, well, like somebody just because someone said one line. Um, so, I mean, so what was, happened? What was, exactly? what was the line? I can't remember. Was it just was it go bad? I can't remember what it was. But yeah, we were we we're coming off of um, we were doing the Fred LeBeau course and that lovely hill. The second time you come off mm-hmm. of it, and again, part of group training in the journey is we all come out and we cheer for each other. That's the beauty that we do. We get out there and we cheer each other on. And Maria had come out. And as Ali and I were coming by, she gave us like a, a cheer. I'm trying to remember what the exact quote was. Was it like... I think it was Go Ben. It was Go and Ben, go. but instead it sounded like, you know, she was about 85 years old, had just got done smoking at least two packs of cameo of cigarettes. <laughs> like, Go Ben! And she just lost her voice at the moment when we arrived. Yeah. And she said that. And I remember I turned to Ali and I was like, wow, when did Maria start smoking? Yeah. And you said, hashtag camel filterless? I was like... <laughs> and we, and we, and it was the picture was classic but yeah but that's just you know it i think for some people it's hard to kind of get in that mindset when you race but you know i i do i find myself when i run i just i take it all in i look around i i don't i, I want to focus i mean yeah i mean the 10k i ran i focused i was in the moment in the marathon but at the same time it's like you know, just take a moment and just mm-hmm. laugh or just take a moment and smile or take a moment and look at something because yeah. you know you're then you're there you just enjoy it because yeah it's 
it may hurt, it may suck, but. Um, so you have been a coach now for what, like a year and a few months. You and I, yeah. we did the, the RRCA yeah. course together, which was really fun going down to Pennsylvania. <laughs> I remember going to the La Colombe and they were closed and we were like, what? Yeah, it's what, 7 a.m. What, what coffee shop? What was it? it was like 8 o'clock <laughs> on a Sunday. We're like, what the hell? They ran out of Senka, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was, Speaking yeah. of that, hold on a second. Let me look right now. So, so earthy. Now that you have, <laughs> it's so it's really what? Not earthy. It's more like oh my, black tar I know, heroin. It smells so bad. I can't even bring it to my face. <laughs> really, I, mean, I, actually, I was joking earlier with Annalie. I was like, should we drink it or just put it in a syringe and shoot it into our body because it's <laughs> so horrific? It's like black tar heroin. Yeah, it's really bad. It's rust. <laughs> it is kind of. Is it yeah, rustic it or is it like, rust? Did it stop the IC? Yeah, just rust. <laughs> That's why the lid is orange. Um, okay, so now that you have this coaching experience. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, t- I'm taking the chill out of Chess Track Friday. We've gone no, out you're adding it. Fast. You're upping it. Okay, okay, I yeah. love it. You I have, love it. Apparently, you have a question. I do have I a question. Go, go, go. From a pink sticky note. Um, okay, so now you have this coaching right. experience and a little bit under your belt. You've kind of also been, you sort of just have like a coaching <laughs> personality. So it's, it actually is very fitting. But has your since becoming a coach, has it changed your own running and training and approach to racing and um, your outlook on your performance? And if so, how so? Um, I, I, yeah, I think so. I think because when you're when you're coaching with people with, with somebody, whether it's one on one or in a group setting, um, I think you be in my case at least you begin to really learn and view the process differently in a way in terms of like how things work because now I'm having to like verbalize to somebody else what I what you say internally to your own self or what you look at or what you've been doing yourself for years I don't have to verbalize you know how this works how that works do this do that and so yeah so when all of a sudden you find yourself saying this to somebody and you know, imparting the wisdom or the knowledge that so many have given to me now I can give it back to somebody else then yeah there's definitely going to be a, a growth in what you do and one of the one of the great things that I have been able to do is the weekend long runs with Roadrunners as a coach. I mean, that was an incredible experience. I jumped in last June after Brooklyn. Um, actually, no, it was before that. It was before Brooklyn. We started to do it was in May. And that was incredible because that really, like, opened up, like, the like just running with people and watching their journey because there are people that were training for their first marathon, their first half, and it was incredible to hear their experiences and then... You go back to when you first started and you're like, oh my gosh, I remember that. I did that stuff again. You're like, wow, that's incredible. And then all of a sudden you, then you start to look at where your growth has taken you and where your growth is going and then trying to help impart that upon them and then also listen to what their journey is because maybe they may give you this little crumb of information, this little this bing, you're like, oh, that's great. I never thought about that. That's awesome. So again, it goes back to listening to everybody else and as, as Bobby and so many of the coaches that we, we work with say, you know, I look forward to learning from you as you do from me because that's really what, what you're there for. And you listen, you kind of take a moment and step back. And um, It's inspiring, especially when you see the hands go up of the people that are running their first marathon because yeah. we've all been there mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. we know what that decision is and it's scary. And But then what I found and you're, I hear you saying it is once you make the decision to do that, then you enter this community of people who are there to support you. Absolutely. And that's what's so wonderful about, mm-hmm. you know, 
just running with a group of people. And that's a huge recommendation that I have for anyone who's running on their own. You know, I always thought I was a solitary runner and that I didn't (laughs) want to run with people, but it just raises the experience to a completely different level. People, they help push you. You, you don't know who you might be helping and lots of people are helping you and just kind of ups, it ups everything, the enjoyment factor, the challenge and the goals. Going off of that, What's your one training tip for runners listening? <laughs> the one training tip? <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, it's always just focus on the workout in front of you because mm-hmm. that's all you have. That's all you have. I think it's so easy to get into a, a training plan, uh, especially if you're gearing up for a goal race, to look at um, uh, everything about the plan and try to like figure out all the things in the plan before you've done things in the plan. Like you had commented earlier about the... The um, you know, the tempo runs I was doing for the 10K plan early were kind of like, oh, these paces don't seem that difficult. Let's just you know, let's check it out. But it was again, it was staying within the moment, keeping that workout in front of me, not worried about what the next run was, the weekend run, or my next repeat workout. It was okay. This is the workout I have, and just take that workout, and that's all you have. If you have that plan, you have the workout in front of you, and that workout's going to be what it's going to be. You know, it's going to be. It could be good. It could be great. It could be rough. But okay, you did the workout, and then when you're done with it. If it was great, okay, well, maybe look at what was so great about it. What, did I hit my times? Um, did it just feel comfortable? Did it feel good today? If it was okay, okay, was I tired? Did I get a good night's sleep? Uh, was it, if it was bad, well, why was it bad? What was going on? Was the weather not your liking? What are the things that look into it? And then just take that into stock. Great, wrap it up, move on to the next workout. Yeah. Something I tell people that I work with is that if you look too far ahead, like you're not ready to do that workout four weeks ahead, exactly. so don't bother looking at it. The yeah. workout today is gonna help you get to the workout the next day, which then gets you to the next one. It is really um, not only one week at a time, it is, as you said, it's one workout at a time, and not going too far, not going too far ahead, because it is intimidating, and it's supposed to be in a way, you know, because we're trying to achieve something that we don't <laughs> think is possible, and then right. we see that it is, and there's a plan, the plan mm-hmm. is there, you follow the plan, like the recipe. Um, I'm going to take us back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about your wife, Joey, for a minute? We most definitely can. <laughs> Who I love so much. Um, I so enjoyed our car ride down to Washington, and she was telling me that she's a history buff, and I'm, yeah. I'm as well. So it was really cool to get to know her. And speaking of what we were saying before, of like you never know who you're inspiring. You've clearly inspired Joey. <laughs> she's now one of your athletes. Can you tell us what what she's training for she's training for the brooklyn half um i remember i got the text message in january i think the day before the registration opened up or the day after she's like would you mind if i did that and i was like that's up to you mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like if you're drinking from that kool-aid knock yourself out because because <laughs> you always told me oh you paid to do this honey so it's you whatever you're gonna do i'm like yes i know I, it's your turn now yes exactly <laughs> exactly what it is. I, I, it's funny because you know she did a long run uh yesterday and she woke up this morning and I heard her out of bed. She's like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Now it's my turn to give her grief for that. Because she's so given funny. me so much grief over the years for creaking and cracking and snap crackling and popping when you hop your ass out of bed after a long run and everything hurts. No, but yeah, she's she's doing the Brooklyn Book in half. Um, I'm super excited to see how it all goes. Um, I'm actually doing one run a week with her to kind of do some stuff, which has been great. We don't always run together. It's always kind of like a therapy session in the wrong direction when you run together with your wife because you never know how it's going to end. You get home and you wake up with like, oh, I got a 
horse head in bed next to you the next day because you pissed her <laughs> off the wrong way. <laughs> but you know, but it's to be able to support her and do this is is absolutely the the smallest gift that I can give her after. I mean, you just celebrated 21 years of marriage, mm-hmm. but um, you know, up teen years of support and all the athletic endeavors. I mean, she would come to my ice hockey games when we were first married and roller hockey, and she would bring our son when he was in a car carrier. And I remember she got kicked out of a hockey game because she yelled the one thing a referee never wants to hear and felt threatened by it. It was, oh, come on, ref. Mm. And she was tossed out of a hockey game by the referee <laughs> for saying those immortal words with a toddler. And she's like, you've <laughs> got to be effing kidding me. I was wow. like, where's she going? But she got tossed out because she yelled those hurtful, harmful words to referee. Oh, come on, ref. Go Joey. Yeah, she called Joey. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, but, and then, I mean, in all the years, I mean, when you marathon train and you're gone, you know, a thousand hours a day, to have somebody in your court that supports you um, at every turn, I think is incredible because then I don't see you don't feel bad when you're gone because, I mean, God, last year, I mean, when I began doing the long runs and coaching, I was gone every day, Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but she was always she always supports it always mm-hmm. and I, I can't I really can't thank her enough for that um, and so to be able to help her in any way I can for Brooklyn and then more importantly to be out there and cheer her on because I'm not going to run is going to be it's going to be awesome I'm looking forward to um, watching her progress and being part of her journey and then obviously hearing about her experience when she gets to the, the start mm-hmm. line and the 13 miles in front of her. So it's really beautiful. Yeah, we're excited for her too. It's going to be good. Yeah. Brooklyn's I, a really good race too. It's a great race. Yeah. Such a wonderful commitment she's making. <laughs> it's really inspiring to me. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's a beautiful journey. 21 years of marriage. Congratulations. Thank you. That's, that's amazing. How did and, you guys meet? How did we meet? Uh, we actually met on the college newspaper that we worked on. I was mm-hmm. the photo editor, photographer, weird looking guy with a mullet. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I, no, no. Actually, I, I think I cut my wow, hair by then. Wow, kudos to Joey. Yeah, yeah no, actually, I, think, I, think, I think I cut my hair by then. I think. I can't remember <laughs> if I cut my hair or not. Actually, it's funny because you know, most people who know me know that I have facial hair. After we had been dating for about six months, I, I shaved. And she walked right past me and didn't recognize me. I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, I am never shaving again. I have shaved one other time. My friend got married in 2001, I shaved. Other than that, I don't because she'll never recognize me again. And actually, my son's never seen me without facial hair. But um, that's when we met on um, the college newspaper. Uh, um, I was pretty smitten with her from the get-go. But it may be hard to believe but I was shy about asking her out I was very uncomfortable with that so I did not and a friend of mine did instead and and then I thought she liked somebody else so I just kind of didn't do anything and then um, in April of 95 I mean I even know the date because it was the day the uh, UCLA basketball won their last NCAA tournament uh, championship it was the night before I asked her out and we went to lunch it was April 5th it was the day of our we went to, to lunch for our first date that was going to be 1995, so 24 years ago, April 5th, coming wow. up. Um, and we met, and then, yeah, within the first, like, 60 days of us dating, my dad got in a horrible motorcycle accident, almost died. Mm-hmm. We're actually, I was actually, we were in the area where it happened. I had no idea. I didn't hear about it until after I left the area. Um, he's fine. He's alive. It's, you know, he's got, the injuries he had from that are still there, and he has to deal with that. 
and then her mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. So in the first 60 days of our relationship, we had two traumatic experiences and people will tell you, it's like, oh, you're not gonna survive. That's just too much for someone to handle. But we did. And, um, and we support each other as much as we can on as many different aspects as we can. Like that's just, I don't know any other way. You know, I just, I support that. So I move forward with that in every way. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> just so we have this on the record, you're a, a <laughs> FC Barcelona fan, right? A huge Barcelona fan. I mean, me and Roberto, we get together and you know, we hang out. I mean, we, you know, I, we try to keep on the down low. You know, we talk Spanish to each other. <laughs> no, actually, no, I, I hate Barcelona. I'm a big Man United fan, you know, just as Roberto was as well. And so is Gary. <laughs> yeah, they all love. Yeah, they, they all love United. We, you know, we go around glory, glory, man, United, and you know we all wear our red. Yeah, no, I'm a huge. <laughs> all wear red. <laughs> we all wear red together and put our scarves up and sing and no. <laughs> On that lovely factual note, <laughs> right. thank you so much for joining us. This yeah, has thanks, been ben. so amazing. Thank I you. I appreciate. It. Thank you. Um, yeah. We're going to continue eating brownies and bread. <laughs> All right. No Sanka. And whoever's listening <laughs> doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, reach out to Ben for bread and brownies. Oh, sorry, Ben. <laughs> I'm not giving out any contact info, but they'll probably find you anyway. Uh, that was see, you next Friday. see you next Friday. See you next Friday.